0: we could just go ahead and have church. That's what we used to say. We'd just go ahead and have church with that song and, and, and pray and then leave. Okay? Because, I mean, the message is there. The worship is in there. Every, the Jesus was there. All present. If you want to talk to us during this gathering, you do that by typing it into the chat window, which we're monitoring, or text it. 720 I'm going to get into it here. Scandalous love, our text. I, I have a text this morning. Romans, the book of Romans. So if you're following along I will be reading this from the message translation from chapter 5, two verses verse 20 and 21 Paul the author here is speaking and he says and give me just a quick second here Mm -hmm. Paul says all that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers But sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death, and that's the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life. A life that goes on and on world without end. important here God is putting everything together through the Messiah the kingdom of God is heaven being joined to earth in the person of Jesus that's why Jesus said the kingdom is amongst you that's why he said the kingdom is within you it's already present God brought heaven and earth together in reconciliation and redemption in the person of Jesus. And then Jesus died on the cross, not to forgive our sins, but to conquer evil. To put to death, death in his flesh. Romans chapter eight, verse one and two, you'll read that, you'll see that there. Now forgiveness, as important as that is, doesn't require bloodletting. Forgiveness is an action of grace, something just God gives by promise. Let me ask you something. From nursery school on, we've been taught to succeed in the world of ungrace. What do I mean? How about the early bird gets the worm? That's the world of ungrace. No pain, no gain. I'm wrestling with that personally. My desire to g- gain a fitter person, a fitter physical body, I know that there's going to be some pain. But see, when, when, when that idea floats into your spiritual philosophies and, and doctrine and theology and into your relationship with God, it's It's very problematic. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever said that to somebody? Hey, you gotta tow your your own way. There's no such thing as a free lunch. You get what you pay for. See, all of those are statements out of the world of ungrace. That's what made Jesus' message so scandalous. And in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18, there's two verses where Jesus has to confront this world of ungrace that resides in Peter. Watch this. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked him, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? This is Matthew, chapter 18, verse 21 and 22 seven times Peter asks no not seven times Jesus replied but 70 times (laughs) 7 70 times 7 and and then Jesus follows that statement to Peter with a very exaggerated proportions in proportions parable about forgiveness how that there was a man a landowner Uh, 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 a business owner for whom two of his employees had gotten into debt in great amounts one a huge amount and he was going to have to go to jail and in fact his house and his children be taken from him in in order to pay the debt and then the second one owed far less it wasn't as serious but he owed a debt So the first man comes to the landowner and says, I can't pay this. And he falls on his knees and begs him, please forgive me. And the owner of the company says, okay, you're forgiven all the debt. That man gets up from his knees, walks out, finds someone's that owes him. Just a a smitten, a of what he was just forgiven and holds him to account says you've got to pay me the man falls on his knees and begs him to forgive him and the one who had just been forgiven by the business owner says i will not forgive you in fact until you pay can pay your debt i'm going to take your children and your land and and so jesus in the story The landowner comes back, the the citizens of the town find out about this, and they complain to the landowner saying, didn't you just forgive this guy all of this debt? Well, he held somebody to account that owed him just a a, a smitten penance of that, and now he's putting him in jail and taking his property and his children and everything as payment. And, of course, the business owner gets mad and brings judgment against him, a picture, a story to communicate with us. God has wiped everything out. Have you ever been like Peter? He's called scrupulous Peter. Why? Because he wanted a mathematical detail on forgiveness. The word scrupulous means diligent, thorough, extremely attentive to details. So he comes and he says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive a person? Seven times? See, he's, he's working the math on it. Why? Because he's scrupulous. I wonder if there's any here listening to me that are scrupulous. I wonder if anybody out here in the audience in our live stream, is scrupulous. You've got forgiveness and grace all worked out in a math equation. If you do this, God will do that. And it's because we live in a world of ungrace and we were taught ungrace. And Jesus gives us stories that are so exaggerated to teach us God's love, God's grace, go far beyond all that we can imagine. He's more than enough. C.S. Lewis said it this way, to be a Christian means to forgive the unexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Now folks, this actually isn't really new. It's not new to Jesus and not new to the quote, New Testament, even the Old Testament uncovers the evidence of God's nature. How about Jacob? He was called the supplanter, a deceiver. He, he seduced and, and pit his children against one another and yet God raised him up and favored him. David, the adulterer king, he murders to feed his lust and yet God calls him a man after my own heart. How about Solomon, offspring of an adulterous relationship, possessor of a thousand wives and concubines, and yet he's called in scripture the wisest man on earth. Now, I don't know about that, if you have a thousand wives and concubines. There's, there's something wrong with that equation, I don't care. The, the math on that's just not gonna work. A thousand? But see, the grace of God was being manifest In their time, even though they couldn't understand it or put it in the words that we do, they didn't have the death, burial, and resurrection of the Christ. But God's nature, see, was coming out even in Old Covenant. Now, there's a parable of a landowner in Matthew chapter 20. It goes like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early one morning to hire his workers. And I'm going to repeat some things here. In his vineyard, he agreed to pay the normally d- normal daily wage, and he sent them out to work. At 9 o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace, and he saw some people standing around doing nothing. So get this now. There were some people lined up to start work that day, like at 5 o'clock in the morning. They're, they're ready to go. They were there. They got their shovels, their picks. They've got their their work tools. Uh, They want to go to work first thing in the morning. And he hires them and sends them out. And then he goes shopping, and he finds a couple of guys standing around in the marketplace at 9 o'clock in the morning. And it says, so he hired them, telling them that he would pay them whatever was right. Watch this. He would pay them whatever was right. He would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at three o'clock he did the same thing so he's hired people at the beginning of the day five six o'clock in the morning done it again at nine hired some more at noon and at three at five o'clock that afternoon he was in town again and he saw some more people just standing around he asked them why haven't you been working today they replied because nobody hired us the landowner told them then go out Join the others in my vineyard. That evening he had the foreman call all of the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed that they would get even more or receive even more, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only an hour. And yet you've paid them just as much as you're paying us for working all day in the scorching heat? He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Well, get, get this last sentence now. Watch this. Here's my message Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? See, we take people and we put them in categories. We put them in little silos. And we put certain behavior and activities, especially what we consider to be moral behavior, in categories and silos. That we then approve and we mark this is okay that's not okay this deserves God's blessing this doesn't this person over here well he's worthy of a whole day's wage this person here he's a sluggard he didn't work all day send him to McDonald's and get him an order of fries Philip Yancey said and I quote their discontent arose from the scandalous mathematics of grace you see god dispenses gifts not wages god dispenses there isn't anything in my life i deserve everything i have is a gift everything in my relationship to Jesus is a gift none of us gets paid according to our merit again Philip Yancey in his book on grace says and I quote in the bottom-line realm of ungrace some workers deserve more than others in the realm of grace the, in, in the realm of grace, the word deserve, they all deserve even. And the word, un, the word deserve doesn't even appear in that world. So let me read this again. I'll try to make more sense of it. In the bottom line world of ungrace, some workers deserve more than others. But in the realm of grace, the word deserve doesn't even exist. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) It's, It's not even in God's vocabulary. Everything I have is a wonderful gift. Now that was such a scandalous message that Jesus delivered and brought to the Jewish people because everything they had, everything they received, and their entire relationship with God, was built upon what they deserved through performance and obedience. How about you? Are you trying to get God to love you? Are you doing things to get God's approval? Is your relationship with Jesus based on performance? The things you do, how much you do, if you go to church or not, whether you've prayed today, Scandalous grace, scandalous love, scandalous grace. Let me ask you a question. As you you think about these parables and these stories, and some of them just so explosive and, and amazing that Jesus tells, is it possible that Christ's ministry and the stories or parables that he told serve more to correct our notion of who God is and how God loves than they do to teach us expected or approved behavior. I've always read the stories and parables of Jesus as a moral story to teach me. An object lesson for me to learn how to be better, how to operate and approve, be approved and get God to be pleased with me. The truth is, none of them are for that purpose. Every parable, every story Jesus gave us was to reveal the Father's heart, how much he loves us. How about the prodigal? We learned about him, the lost son, right? That was last week's lesson, scandalous love. The scripture says in verse 20 of that passage there, Luke chapter 15, When he was still afar off, his father saw him, his heart pounding. He ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. And the son started his speech, Father, I've sinned against you. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling his servants to him, Quick, bring clean clothes and dress him. Didn't ask him anything about where he had been living, all the money he had wasted, why did he do this? Now you know we're going to have to hold you to account here. We're we're going to put you on a a temporary period where where you can prove your behavior for a while. None of that. Threw him a party and a celebration. Why? Because it's called scandalous grace. We don't deserve any of it. There's such a divine tension between Old Testament and this wonderful message of grace. Even in Hosea chapter 11, listen to this, verse 8. Oh, how can I give up on you, Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you like Adma, or demolish you like Zebium? My heart is torn within me, and my compassion overflows. That was the God of the Old Testament. You see, sociologists' theory is this. It's called the looking glass, the looking glass of yourself. You become what the most important person in your life thinks you are. When you're looking in the mirror of what other people expect and you're trying to please, you become like that. And for most people, that's a very downtrodden image. But when you look into his face and you realize he loves you unconditionally and there's nothing you can do to change his thinking about you. You don't change God's mind. Nothing Jesus did changed God's mind towards us. When you look into his face, we become more like him. Let me give you a definition of grace. We'll put it on the screen here. Grace means there is nothing we can do to make, God's love, to make God love us more. No amount of spiritual calisthenics or renunciations. No amount of knowledge gained from seminaries and divinity schools. No amount of crusading on behalf of righteous causes. And grace means there is nothing we can do to make God love us less. No amount of racism or pride or pornography or adultery or even murder. Grace means that God already loves us as much as an infinite God can possibly love anyone. End quote. Philip Yancey. In his book called Grace. We do have a couple of questions, but I'm going to open this thing up now as we start thinking over some of these things that have been said. And I want to open it up for you to tell me what you're thinking. Tell me what's going on in your mind right now. And chances are, if you're thinking it, if you're wanting to ask it, a dozen other people are. They have the same questions and issues and so forth. Do we have anything from the chat window yet that you have seen in particular? Good morning, everybody. Okay. Ralph says I think that Peter was an extrovert and all but scrupulous. He often looked for the easy way out and acted before thinking. This is why he was only capable of the most basic math. <laughs> Seven times, Jesus? (laughs) No, 70 times seven, which, by the way, I used to count that. I tried to figure out what 70 times seven was, and that, you know, in really difficult situations or with really difficult people, you know, I'd start counting that this is how many times I have to forgive them, 144. (laughs) Jesus wasn't doing math, y'all. All right, that's that's not what he was doing or giving you there 144 440 490 yeah that's just not what Jesus meant to start doing math he was trying to say be like God God forgives us regardless all the time you can't you can't out God you can't run his forgiveness out Anybody else? Thoughts? Okay. So we're going to turn the mic on here. And while somebody else is talking, if we could bring my microphone down and then bring me back up when they stop.
1: Okay. I'm just going to sit here. So I'm reminded of when I went for that, uh, like eight, nine months to University of Phoenix, and I took like five different courses. So the way university, I don't know if they still operate this way, but the way they operated at the time was, is you had a team, uh, that's not what they call it, a study group. And once you were assigned that study group, you couldn't get out. You couldn't change people. So it, my study group was four women. We were all working full time. Um, and every week, not only did we have to read and um, go to four hours of school and then read, read and create a, a, an essay of our own individually. We had to create an essay for all four of us as a group. So we were spending 15 to 20 hours a week in school while we were working full time, you know, doing schooling. And out of our four people, two of us worked very hard and created all this information for our group essay. The third one, contributed, but really wasn't on top of things. And the fourth one barely contributed. And so we would get these A's on our group essay, but it was because of the work that me and this other person who worked so hard did, not the other two. Really and truly that was the case. And this went on week after week after week. We were so angry. And um, it just was not fair that these other two people, and especially the fourth person, was getting our A's. It just didn't make sense.
0: I think you, you wanted to fry them, didn't you? Probably.
1: Yeah, yeah. We, we talked to the teacher. Can we change uh, members? No, I'm sorry. This is part of the real world on how to deal with people who are different. Okay. Well, that may be, but these were great. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so still today, I mean, as this story comes back up in my mind, I still don't know what I think about that. And um, while I totally agree with the concepts of grace, and I'm far more gracious in many, many, many ways now, if I were put back in that situation, I just, all honesty, I don't know how I feel about it. So just thought I'd bring that up
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's okay that's exactly what this time is for for us to express our ideas our opinions it's not being right or wrong and it's not agreeing with me and what I've just taught it's hearing you all right anybody else Ralph says want to have some math next time I would start working for the guy in late afternoon almost nobody will work for him the next day before 4 he just ruined the market. <laughs> it's just us Christians that keep performing.
1: I don't understand. Oh, 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 gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. gotcha. We've got to We got a comment here. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. When, okay. So this, you want me to just say who it's from? Yeah. So this is from Jim who right now would like me to read this. Okay. When I say quote, I know, unquote, I mean it can only be one thing or have one outcome. Two plus two can only equal four. When I say, quote, I believe, unquote, it means I think it is the correct path but have no definitive proof. God doesn't meet us where we are, rather he is with us always. God is everything, everywhere, all at once. We only have to choose what to believe and trust him wholeheartedly. Choose to reach out and tap into all that he is, ever was, and will ever be. So there's a difference between I know and I believe.
0: I like that. I like it because... Well, for several reasons, but one of the reasons that kind of ties into a book I read by Peter Enns called The Sin of Certainty, which I then did a little series on called The Beauty of Uncertainty. Do you have to be certain? Do you have to be certain about everything? Do you have to be certain about what the Bible says the way it says it, in particular translation of certain passages, right? See, I think the whole idea of God's grace supersedes that altogether. Jeff, could we have that first question up, please? When you try harder to do right, be right, what almost always happens? It what? Now you don't have to have the mic. You can yell it out. It gets
1: worse. It gets worse.
0: It gets worse. She too hard.
1: Okay. She said, "Yeah, you try too hard, and then you
0: get messed." You up. wind up trying too hard and just mess it up. I don't know about you. I get frustrated. I get yeah, drained. It takes a lot of brain energy to be right. And I pride myself. I grew up, I, I mean, Nina will tell you, it was very important for me to be right. In my, my first three decades, probably, I'm four decades and a half into ministry, my first three decades in ministry, one of my primary goals for getting in the pulpit and teaching the Word of God was to be right and to be sure you understood the right way to believe. Man, it's draining.
1: Well, that would, it also my, caused you to be more judgmental than of oh those who gosh. are Quote, unquote, not right.
0: So <laughs> judgmental and creepy. I mean, uh, I was a spiritual creep. There's a song called Creep. There's a song called Creep that was done recently by a, a cover on uh, AGT, America's Got Talent. Ooh. This boy that did that, yikes. I recorded it. It is so, so good. Creep. And, and I think of that in the spirit. Sometimes, you know we become a creep but we're not a creep if we see ourselves in the way that God wants us what's that second question Jeff in what way have you learned that being obedient diligent a hard worker will position you to deserve blessing favor even God's approval Darcy says do you want to be right Or do you want to be happy? Both. (laughs) Ralph says, do or do not. There is no try. Okay, Yoda. Okay, Yoda. (laughs) How does it feel to want? How does it feel to want? Jim said. ralph says well do we need grace toward others profiting from our achievement or do we need to realize that we don't need to achieve i believe he's responding to what what Yes, but my class required
1: me to achieve, right? Yes. So see, it goes along with this question. What have you learned about being obedient? Well, how am I going to get a raise? How am I going to get a promotion? If I don't achieve, they're not going to promote me. They're not going to give me a raise. And what do we
0: call that? In my message here, as I ungrace the world of ungrace. <laughs> yes. But we, it is the world we live in. It is the world we live in, and you can't ignore it and pretend like it doesn't exist. And so I would suggest that maybe there's boundaries that we have to put around certain things. But we need to ask God for a heightened awareness of when we're allowing that world of ungrace to affect the way we believe, the way we pray and receive from God, the way we act towards others. What were you pointing at, Darcy?
1: What Nina just said is right to that
0: question. You can achieve personally and you grow. You don't have to go back there. Just hold it up so it kind of catches her. So the whole team is, does get a blessing, if you will. But you are honored, if we will, okay, you are honored because they notice certain things. Now, this is, this is an interesting scenario. That's the world of ungrace. Is that how God operates?
1: No. But we act that way. We act like, if you don't think like I think, you're not going to get the blessing I'm, I'm now able to get. little bit closer. And, and of course, there is the law of sowing and reaping, but that's self-actuated stuff. That's not God's grace. So God's grace is
0: equal for every human being. Sounds like socialism. Is this socialism? What's the next question, Jeff?
1: Well, before you go, hang on okay. a second. Um okay, so Jim says, What is your motive? Do you do it for personal gain or for what you believe to be the right thing to do? Well that helps a lot if your if your motive is right, I would think. It helps you to be more gracious if your motive is right. If your motive is not for personal gain, That's I think you tend to
0: Yeah, and I wonder if along those lines, Jim and Darcy, if what we can do is that part of our motive is that our desire to excel and do really well right with our skills we can we can want to do that also to be a blessing to others to take people with us we don't go alone we bring right we bring people there's people who have learned that in a corporate America, you, you step on other people to get where you want to go, and they have no... Con- but then there's people who take people with them in their success. They build in order to create something they can bring people into and lift people. See, a different- I would think that's godly. <laughs>
1: One of the differences I think about this kind of thing that we're talking about, it's one thing if I choose, look, I choose, okay, let's say I go buy two bags of groceries and I choose to give away one bag so that as Corinthians talks about what I have more of and you have less of, I'll give you what I have more of and then you'll give me what you have more of and it creates equality. Okay, very socialistic, but I choose it rather than somebody is forcing me to give away my second bag of groceries. So that's where I think, because we live in an ungraced world and we live in a world of people being greedy and we live in the world of people wanting power and all of those things, we honestly can't trust people to fairly divide.
0: This is really an interesting conversation and it's getting pretty deep. Yes. <laughs> because now we're talking about whether I'm forced to give that second bag of groceries or not. That's socialism. That's communism. I mean, that's where it deteriorates to. It starts as being good and something that even is biblical, but then right. it can become if right. it's forced against my will. But now watch this. Here's, here's Ralph's comment on, on some of this, dipping back into what Darcy and Nina were saying, we cannot ignore that it exists, the world of ungrace, but we can refuse to live in its principles. We can be an iconoclast and help change this world. Do you need that title or that promotion? Ooh, good point, Ralph. Do you need that title or promotion? So, yeah, boy, this just really gets into some, right? We, it's a, it's a matter of examining our motives and what would be Christ like in showing grace and equality, bring, bringing people into equality. We've run out of time. Wow. What, what a good Q and A.
1: And, and by the way, Jeff wrapped it up with, we call this life
0: we call this life <laughs> this is the
1: life we I would wrap that, this we, is the life we're in
0: <laughs> we call this life yeah this is very interesting really good we want to leave some time for prayer